0: of chapter 7 last week and if you haven't read the whole book you might be fooled into thinking that actually everything's done and the Jews have victory at last and it's all sorted but actually you you know Esther's gone into the and into the presence of the king and the king has heard her plea he's uh, Haman has been impaled on a pole He's been destroyed, and Mordecai has been brought into the presence of the king. He's been given Esther's, um, Haman's estate and the king's signet ring. And you might be fooled into thinking that it's all done and dusted, but you know what? The king doesn't quite get it because he, he hasn't addressed the edict that will annihilate the Jews. So you get to chapter 8, and you realize it ain't, over yet, because Esther has to again go to the king and plead on behalf of the people. And so we pick up the story in Esther chapter 8, verse 3. Esther again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman the Agagite, which he had devised against the Jews. Then the king extended the gold scepter to Esther, and she arose and stood before him. If it pleases the king, she said, and if he regards me with favor and thinks it's the right thing to do, and if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all of the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? King Xerxes replied to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew. Because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given his estate to Esther and they have impaled him on the pole he set up. Now, write another decree in the king's name on behalf of the Jews, as seems best to you and seal it with the king's signet ring, for no document written in the king's name and sealed with his his ring can be revoked. On the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but now the tables were turned and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. I'm gonna skip down now to Esther, chapter nine, verse 20. Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Exerces, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th day of the month of Adar, as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration he wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor you know as I have read this book of Esther there are two things that have really stood out for me, fasting and feasting, fasting and feasting. You see, everything changes when Esther fasts. The whole story is is tipped on its head when Esther goes into the presence of God. She comes from the presence of God, she gets the courage to go to King Xerxes. Haman's impaled on the pole. The Jews are able to overthrow their enemies. And the book finishes with this festival of Purim, which Steve unpacked for us last week, which not only was something that was celebrated in Esther's day, but something which Esther and Mordecai firmly established in the Jewish calendar and is still celebrated today, the Feast of Purim. You see, Fasting and feasting are what we call spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are there to help us deepen and develop our relationship with God. They're there to, to help us to develop intimacy with God. You see, we are called to be disciples of Jesus. The word disciple and the word discipline actually come from the same Latin word, the word dishere, which means to learn from. And so the word discipline and the word discipleship, they're like two sides of the same coin. They fit together. Henry Newvin has written a lot about the spiritual disciplines, and he says this, the various disciplines of the spiritual life are meant for freedom and are reliable and are a reliable means for the creation of helpful boundaries in our lives, within which God's voice Can be heard God's presence felt and God's guidance experienced I just wonder in this room this evening is there anyone here you need to hear the voice of God is there anyone here you you need to experience the presence of God is there anyone here you need to know the guidance of God, the wisdom of God in your life. Well, the way that we access those things is through the spiritual disciplines, through disciplines like feasting and fasting. And I want to just draw a, a dia- just show you a diagram that kind of helps unpack this a little bit. I've got two circles here. We've got a circle on the outside. The circle on the outside represents our outer life. It's this, the circle of activity, our outer life, our, our doing. You know, we get caught up in life, we become busy and occupied and preoccupied. But then, here in the center, is intimacy. And this represents our inner life our intimacy with God, our, our connection with God. And you see, what can happen is that, actually, sometimes as Christians, we can tend to live in this outer world of activity, this outer world of doing. But you see, what happens is that when we're consumed in this outer world of activity and we don't draw aside daily to spend time in the presence of God, what happens is the the activity drives the intimacy. And so we find that we come less and less to this place and it's mostly out of need rather than desire, a bit like Esther. You know, Esther fasted because she was desperate, because she recognized, God, if you don't come through in this situation, we are done for. Esther was caught in this world of activity, and there were some other signs of that in Esther's life. You know, Andrew, in the second week, he talked about Esther's superficiality. When she heard about Mordecai, that he was in sackcloth and ashes, her first response was to send him a new set of clothes. You see, that doesn't make sense. Esther was a Jew, she would have known the significance of sackcloth and ashes, that actually that meant that Mordecai was in deep distress. And yet, living in this outer world of activity, what happens is our heart begins to shrink. And we become less available to people, less, less able to take on other people's needs. Another sign that Esther was caught in this outer world of activity was that her response was one of fear rather than faith. When Mordecai says to her, you need to go to the king and you need to plead on behalf of your people, she says, I can't. I, ca- I can't do it. You can't ask me to do that. You see, what happens is when we... Um, and live our lives in this outer world of activity, we become deluded. We become one-dimensional. You see, we begin to, to feel that our circumstances are, are bigger than the God that we serve and the God that we worship. It's this outer world of activity. But you see, when through the disciplines, we begin to develop our inner life with God, when we begin to intentionally draw aside and spend time with God, building our relationship with Him, then what we find is the inner life, our inner life, begins to affect our outer life. You see, it's the inner life that sustains the outer life. And when we can learn to to develop this inner life with God, this inner connection with God, We learn to live from the inside out, and it affects everything in our lives. It affects our relationships. It affects the decisions we make. It affects how we approach life. This inner life affects everything. And you know, this is how Jesus lived. Jesus lived in constant connection with the Father, His inner life sustained his outer life. You know, Jesus said he only did what the Father told him to do. He had that constant connection of walking with the Father day by day. You see, Henry Newman says that without these boundaries that help us to draw near to God, that help us to make space for God, our lives quickly narrow down. We see and hear less and less. And we become one-dimensional, sometimes delusional, people. And so today, I I want to talk about how can we develop these disciplines of feasting and fasting? What lessons can we learn from the book of Esther that can help us to develop this inner life, that's going to help us sustain that outer life? So I want to look first at, at fasting. And if you're following in your notes, that's your first point. Fasting. Fasting acknowledges our total dependence on God. You know, as I said, Esther fasted because she was desperate. She realized if God didn't come through, they were done for. They were in serious trouble. But it's interesting that Esther's main objection to going to the king was that he hadn't called for her for 30 days. You know, that's significant. The king would not have slept alone. And the fact that he hadn't called her could have been a sign that maybe his love for her, maybe his passion for her was waning. You know, and she couldn't rely on that anymore to save her. She was wondering, I don't really know how he feels about me anymore. She didn't know what his response would be. You see, that's why Esther invites the king to a banquet. Because you see, in those days, when you invited someone to share a meal with you, to come in and eat with you, it had a greater significance than it does today. To invite someone to share a meal in those days was saying, I want to have a relationship with you. And so Esther, in inviting the king to share in not just one banquet, but two banquets, she was saying to the king, I want to rekindle my relationship with you. I want us to rekindle our affection for one another. But she wasn't sure whether King Xerxes would want to, or not. And you know, I I think that we can often come into the presence of God a bit like that. So mindful of just how many days, weeks, months, maybe years, it's been since we've really spent time in the presence of God. And we can come in and feel, on the back foot, feeling downhearted and, and ashamed and feeling Does God really want to rekindle my relationship with him? You know, Revelation 3 talks about a church in Laodicea. It was a church where the people had grown lukewarm in their faith. They were neither hot or cold, just mediocre in their faith. And God speaks to them, and he says to the church, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. You see, God is always waiting at the door. God is always waiting every day. He is waiting for us to come into his presence and to come boldly without condemnation, without fear. And you know, when we enter his presence, we can come just as we are. There's no room for ego in the presence of God. God's not interested in our title. He's not interested in our position. We just come as we are. And we remind ourselves, God is on the throne and he is God and we are not. And we are his children, deeply loved by him. You know, fasting is a means by which we withdraw. In this particular passage, Esther fasts food. But you know, fasting doesn't always have to be food. Sometimes you could you can fast other things. Perhaps you want to fast TV or perhaps you know you want to fast Facebook or, or those kind of things. But in this particular example, it's talking about food. And I, I just want to make it clear before I begin to unpack this that if you're here and you know you have a, a medical condition that would prevent you from fasting maybe or maybe you're you know you're a, a mom's just you're pregnant or you've just had a baby and you're breastfeeding or maybe you struggle with an eating disorder then obviously in those circumstances it it, it would not be healthy for you to fast and so i just want to say right at the very beginning that you know fasting Food is just one way of accessing the presence of God. But if that's not something you can do, please don't feel condemned. Because it's not that that's, you know, that's the best and it doesn't work like that. You see, the whole fasting is simply the means to us accessing the presence of God. Okay? So I just want you to hear that in the right way tonight. To understand that actually the goal is about drawing near to the presence of God. And if you're not able to fast food, that's okay. There's other ways for you to draw near to the presence of God. So fasting food is, or fasting anything in a way, in fact, is actually a way of just dialing down our flesh. It's a way of intentionally withdrawing from this world of activity and coming into this place of intimacy and fasting is usually accompanied by prayer and you know prayer is is simply communication with god you know sometimes i think we can um feel overwhelmed when we think oh my goodness fasting and prayer you know we've got this image of like uh kind of lying on the floor prostrate for like 10 hours in prayer and we think well i'm never going to be able to achieve that but fa- you know prayer is about communication with god and actually communication involves more listening than it does talking. And I just want to share something of my own journey really, in, in this. Um, I'm going to move this out of the way. Can you guys see me there? You know, I've actually found fasting food really difficult over the years and it's something that I've really struggled with Um, and but this year I really felt God speaking to me and I really felt you know what I I don't just want to be haphazard in my fasting I don't just want to be like Esther where it was just a fast out of desperation not that those things are wrong you know, those things bring us to our knees and they draw us into the presence of God. But I, I wanted to develop a rhythm of fasting. I wanted every week to fast and to pray because I, I want to draw near to God. I was like, God, I, I desire you and I really want to draw near. And, it, and this is hard, but I really wanna, you know, I really wanna get this in my life. And, you know, it has been hard. It's been challenging. But I have to say that it has really changed my life. And one of the things that has really changed in me is that it's really my trust in God has grown so much. Because, you see, as I said, my first point is our fasting shows our total dependence on God. And one of the things that held me back before was I always felt afraid because, you know, when I was at work, I was like, well, is it responsible to fast? Because how am I going to concentrate? What if I get up to give a talk and I I feel faint and I can't focus, you know, and that always held me back. But actually the trust for me was realizing that actually that's the step of faith, to trust that, you know what, even if I am stood up preaching, I'm trusting that God's going to sustain me and God's going to help me focus and He's going to help me concentrate. And so my trust in God has grown so much that I've really known Him as my sustainer. And what I've found is those times when I've... Decided that I'm going to fast. I felt really connected with God because I've had to rely on him so much And You know, I I want to share a secret with you, which I wouldn't normally share but um, Obviously today is about just sharing and learning and this week. I actually did a three-day fast And the reason for that is because Steve announced I didn't know he was going to say this last week But he announced that in January as a church. We're going to do a three-day fast and when I fast, I generally just do one day. And I, I thought, well, today I'm speaking on fasting, so I want to be able to come and share and say, hey guys, you know what, we've got this three day fast, and you can do it. You know, I wanted to sp- speak from a place of experience. And you can do it. Um, but I want to say it's, it's been really helpful building up to that. It's a bit like when you're running a marathon. You know, you. Or running a 10K, you know, if you've never run before, to run 10K outright is difficult, but you can run 1K maybe, or 2K, and so you begin to build up and you begin to develop this rhythm. And it's been hard and it's been a trust, but because my trust in God has grown this year, I knew I can trust Him. But you see, what happens is that when we we fast, whether it's food or when we get those Urges then when we feel hunger or when we feel oh I want to go and watch TV or those are moments when we can withdraw and and actually it's a reminder to us a physical reminder in our body to remember to pray and you know it has been hard I mean my husband and I spoke at the young adults on t- on Wednesday night and when it went really well and you know I was so tempted to drive home by the Golden Arches and reward myself with a nice double cheeseburger and large fries. But you know what kept me going? Was you. You kept me going. Because I wanted to come and have a story to share. You see, we spur one another on to faith and good deeds, and you kept me going. God sustained me, but you also kept me going because I was like, I can't get up on Sunday and say, oh, by the way, I, I did two days, but McDonald's was too great a challenge for me. You know, but I want to say it is possible. But more than that, it really changes you because what happens is the God of the Bible becomes real in your life. And you know, the other thing that's happened is that my prayer life has grown. You know, John and I, we we have a prayer chair in our house now. And that was a Bill Hybels thing. He recommends having a place that you go to pray. And he talked about a prayer chair. And now we've got one. It was actually... John's auntie Ethel's chair. She's passed away now, but she was a Christian, so I know there've been lots of prayers prayed in that chair. And you know, I go, I go to that chair, and and sometimes I I just sit in the chair and I just say, God, I'm just here because I want to be with you. And I just sit in the presence of God, and I just wait. Just wait for him to speak to me. You know, sometimes I read my Bible and maybe reflect on a passage. Sometimes my times with God look something like this. And I just kneel in his presence. And maybe I put on a worship tape and I just, I just listen. And I just say, God, I, I want to draw near to you. I want more of you, Lord. You know, what we do with our bodies is very significant. And I find, you know, when I kneel, when I lie on the ground or when I lift my hands in worship, you know, those things are significant because we're saying, God, I surrender to you. God, I welcome you into my life. And I want to encourage you, listen, just start somewhere. It doesn't have to be complicated. Maybe you don't know how to pray. Buy a book of prayers. Buy a book of hymns and pray through the hymns. Pray through the psalms it doesn't even have to be long start with just five minutes in his presence and build it up but just start somewhere because you see when we begin to build those things into our lives it makes such an incredible difference i want to encourage you to build your own prayer life with god you know you are a unique individual the way that you connect with god is really different to the way that i connect you know my husband he he loves to walk the dog, and for him, his time with God is walking the dog and just being uh, walking through the, the, the wood, woodlands and so on, and that's his time with God. You know, maybe for you, it's, it's just getting some time alone. There can be all sorts of different ways, but don't, don't try and box yourself in. Explore your own walk with God and your own, create your own prayer life with God. Because you see, fasting and prayer It really changes us. It changes our hearts. And it changed Esther too. You know, Esther comes out of the presence of God and she receives courage to go to the king. She receives guidance. You know, as Steve said last week, she she comes out with this shrewd plan that she invites the banqueting king to a banquet. Her love for others has grown. You know, she's gone from, from the girl who offered a set of clothes to someone who was in distress, to now she's on her knees, begging and weeping, King Xerxes, to save their people. But you know, the the end result of Esther coming out, of going into the presence of God and, and spending that time with God was that through Esther, she was able to bring rest for her people. She was able to establish rest for her and the people of God. And you know, Esther is a type of Christ. She's a type of savior. She's a foreshadow for Jesus. You see, the rest that Esther brought for the Jews was a temporary rest, a temporary relief from their enemies. But you know, when Jesus died on the cross, he established a permanent rest for us, the people of God. You see, Jesus, when he came to earth, people were expecting him to to lead the... Uh, you know, a revolt against the Romans. They were expected him to lead a military campaign. But actually Jesus came and he established a different way. He established a new way of doing things. You see, Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you. Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. You see, Jesus gives us that permanent rest, but the way that we access the rest of God is we enter into his presence. And we have to enter into his presence daily in order to access that rest that he has won for us. Dallas Willard says, in addition to all the other work that gets done through prayer, perhaps the greatest work of all is the knitting of the human heart with the heart of God. Fasting and prayer changed Esther's heart, and it changes our hearts too. and so I want to look now at this this second discipline of fasting I mean I don't know if it's maybe it's a surprise to you to find out that fasting is actually a spiritual discipline it feels a bit like a paradox doesn't it I mean a discipline is usually something that we abstain from something pleasurable that we abstain from but actually the Bible tells us that actually feasting is also a spiritual discipline You see, feasting helps us to be intentional about developing joy in our lives. You know, we have a God who is joyful. The Bible tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And John Ortberg says this, true celebration is the inverse of hedonism. Hedonism is the demand for more and more pleasure for personal gratification. It always follows the law of diminishing returns. So what produced joy in us yesterday no longer produces joy in us today. Our capacity for joy diminishes. But celebration is not like that. When we celebrate, we exercise our ability to see and feel goodness in the simplest gifts of God we are able to take delight in something we wouldn't have noticed yesterday, and our capacity for joy increases. Feasting is a spiritual discipline. And you know, spiritual celebration, spiritual feasting, is about, yes, celebrating with food and celebrating with friends and and singing and dancing and all the things that we would include in in a feast and in a celebration. But it's doing those things whilst reflecting on the wonderful God who has given us such amazing gifts. I want to ask you today, how are you doing in your joy? How's your joy quota? So, you know, feasting is an opportunity to, to remind ourselves of the goodness of God. You see, feasting helps us to remind us of our ongoing thankfulness towards God, of our joy in, in, knowing, in knowing God. And you know, I, I just want to, can I invite the band to, to come up? You know, I'm just mindful that, that we're drawing near to a a major season of feasting in our time, Christmas. And for us as Christians, this is one of the most significant times of the year. It's a time of feasting. And yet, sometimes we can get so used to it. We can get so used to the feasting and so used to, to it that it becomes mundane. That, you know, we just get caught up in that outer world of activity. and. Christmas just becomes one more thing on the to-do list. It's like, oh no, we've got to buy the turkey and now we've got to think about what presents and we've got to shop and we've got to do all of these things and underneath all of that stuff, we lose the message of, of Christmas, which is that Jesus died for you and for me so that we could have a relationship with him and spend eternity with him, so that in this life, when we're broken, he heals us. When we experience anxiety, it brings us peace. When we're in distress, it brings comfort. You know, because Jesus died, we have access to the Father's presence day in, day out. But sometimes amidst all that stuff, we just forget about Jesus. And I want to encourage you that You know, the Feast of Purim, they always preceded it with this Esther fast. They preceded it with with a time of fasting before the feasting so that the feasting would taste even more sweet so that they wouldn't lose their pleasure in in things that they've taken for granted. And I want to encourage you that maybe to consider as we approach this Christmas season to maybe take some time to to fast, whatever that looks like for you as a way of saying to God, you know, God, I'm drawing near, and I'm, I'm saying, God, that this, this Christmas season, I want it to be different. I don't, oh, yes, I want to celebrate, and yes, I want to feast, but I want people to see in the way that I celebrate something of you, Jesus. And I want us to, I want you to consider that. Consider how you're feasting. Consider how you're celebrating. Consider how you're approaching this Amazing celebration that Jesus came to earth. So I want us to stand in the presence of God. We're going to sing this song of worship. I want to just invite, I'm just going to give you a moment to just think some things through and say to God, God, what is my response here? And then I'm going to come back.